Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here with us today. Um, I want to start this morning with a question for you. But before I pose the question, I want you to just focus in, okay? And I just want you to be honest. What is your first reaction? Okay, what is the, what's that answer that comes right to your mind, the very first thing, okay? And then also with that, um, emotionally, how do, you, how do you react to this, okay? So here's the question, again, the first response idea is this. What would you do if someone gave you a million dollars, okay? What would you do? What's your first reaction? If someone gave you a million dollars, what would you do? Now, you're in church, so I want your honest answers here, okay? You don't want to be lying in church, okay? So here's my question for you. How many of your first thought went to something that you would buy? Okay, these are the honest ones right here, okay? Uh, how many, your first reaction was, man, I, I, I'd find some place to save it. They would go right into savings. Okay, a few of you. Um, how many first thought was, where would I invest it so it would continue to grow? okay. Really good. Okay, good. Um, how many's first thought was how much you would be able to give away? Okay. <laughs> Come on. I said honest answers here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know that you would give it eventually, but your first reaction, you know, it wasn't that Lamborghini that you've always drooled over. No, okay. Um, other question was the thought of someone giving you $1 million. How does that make you feel? Does that make you excited, relieved, um, happy, or does it fill you with dread and fear? How many happy and excited? How many dread and fear? Okay. Um, Let me rephrase the question a little bit differently. What would you do if someone gave you a million dollars of their money to be responsible for? Does that change your answer at all to any of those things? Yeah, well, actually, Jesus told a story about such an occurrence. It's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, if you want to follow along. I'm going to read to you. It's this parable, one of the stories that Jesus told. And Jesus was very purposeful in the stories that he told, that there was, there was a point that he was trying to get across. And so it's a familiar story. Many of you probably heard this before, but I want you to hear it with that different set of ears, Okay. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14, Jesus said, It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you trusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
Come, share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I'd not sown, gathered where I'd not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we are in week nine of this series called Believe. And we're looking at what is it that we really believe? What are the, what are the foundational beliefs of a Christian faith? And, and more specifically, not just what we say we believe, but what do we really believe? Because our belief is not just something that we can recite. Our belief is actually something that we live out. And how we live our lives is really an expression of what we truly believe. And so we've been using this companion book, and if you have not picked up your free copy, they are available to you. We want everyone to get one. You can get them at the information desk. Please, if you haven't, pick up your free copy. We're encouraging people to get involved in a community group, get involved in a small group. As you go through this, do it together with other people so you can still get involved in a community group with that. Also encourage you, pick up an extra copy. You can buy a second copy for $5. The first one's free, but go through it with somebody else because these are the things that we say we believe, but the question is, do we really believe them? Now, last two weeks, Pastor Larry's been doing a great job talking about this, what we believe about humanity and what we believe about compassion. And he used a great illustration um, with the table and, and who is welcome at your table. He posed the question, might God be challenging us and stretching us to make more room at our table for those who maybe do not find a place of belonging yet? And I think that's a really good question, and it really goes to what we're going to be talking about today in this story that Jesus told, because today we're going to be talking about stewardship. And you're going to say, well, wait, those two don't seem to go together. Yes, they do. They do incredibly. And, and when you understand it, see, the problem is we don't understand what stewardship is all about. You hear the word stewardship, and usually you hear that in church, and usually it has to do with giving money. But it's much, much more than that. It's really about how we use the resources that God has given to us. And what Jesus is doing in this story is he wants us to understand some things about what he has done for us and what he expects from us in all of it. And what he's really telling us is this is how you get the most out of life, that to experience life at its fullest you live with a certain mentality, and that mentality is stewardship, or in a modern term, management, managing the resources that God has given us. And so today, we're going to look at this story together, and I want to start with this idea, that God has entrusted you with a wealth of his resources. God has entrusted every one of us in this room with a wealth of resources, and they are his resources. This isn't just about money. This is really about your whole life. That yes, you have financial resources, but that's just part of it. 
You also have relational resources. You have family and friends that God has brought into your life. And and you've got a purpose in all of that. That you have certain abilities. You have certain skills and talents and, and giftings that God has poured into your life for a purpose. And all of these different resources, you have a home. You have a car. In fact, most of us in this room, we have at least two cars in our family, maybe three. When our kids were getting the driver's license and still living at home, we had more cars. Our whole court was taken up by cars. It was all our fault. (laughs) And we've got all these resources. You have a table, as Pastor Larry talked about the last couple of weeks. You have all kinds of resources that are available to you at your disposal, and God has given them to you as a trust. And that's how Jesus starts this story. He says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. That he entrusted these things to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Now, the point I want to make here is that every one of these received a wealth. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did in the old King James Bibles, um, it talked about a talent, a five talent, a two talent, and a one talent gift. Um, And and a talent is really just a measurement of weight. It was actually the largest measurement of weight. And so a lot of your more modern translations have tried to kind of quantify that a little bit more clearly for us. So talking about bags of gold, that a talent of gold would be somewhere in the neighborhood of about one and a half million dollars. So he was giving to his servants an enormous amount of wealth. Even even the one talent guy, even the one bag of gold guy, he was getting like a million and a half dollars worth. This was more money than they would ever see in their lifetime. And he was giving them these resources because he had something for them. He wanted to give them an opportunity that they would never have had otherwise. And he was investing in them. He was, he was investing in them for their success. And even the one, because you hear one talent or one bag of gold, that doesn't sound like all that much, but it was really an incredible amount. More money than they would ever see in their lifetime. And there was only one stipulation, one expectation, and that is that you would be faithful. Back 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, puts it this way. Now, it's required of those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's the only expectation. There wasn't some expectation that you would double the money necessarily, just that you would be faithful with what you've been given. Now, when I grasp that, when you grasp that, and you begin to understand that everything that God has given to you, he has entrusted to you, and he has entrusted you with more than most people in this world will ever have the opportunity to be entrusted with. That all of these resources that God has given you and given me, he, is, he retains the ownership, but he has given them to us as a trust. And when you begin to understand that, it kind of changes your whole perspective on everything that you have. Randy Elkhorn uses this example. If you were to send something to somebody, a friend of yours, maybe across the country, something that they had need of and you had and you wanted to make sure that it got to them. So you called up FedEx and you had the delivery guy come and make the pickup and you filled out all the stuff and you sent that package up. 
with him to be delivered. And then you found out later that the FedEx guy took it home, opened up that package and kept it for himself. How would you feel? You'd be pretty upset. And if you confronted him on it and he said something along the lines, well, if you didn't want me to have it, why did you give it to me in the first place? You would have a few words for that person. Because it wasn't his job to keep it. His job was to deliver it. When God retains ownership and he's entrusted all of these things to us and he says, but I'm still the owner. You're just the delivery person. It changes everything. But it starts with understanding how richly God has provided for you. And with those riches comes tremendous opportunity. The reason that God has entrusted you and I with so much is that he has a plan for us, he has a purpose for us, that with that he has invited us now into partnership in his work in this world. This whole series that we've been going through is about God's unfolding plan of redemption. That God has this big story that he is unfolding in this world, in human history. And it started with that created to be in relationship with him, but losing that relationship because of our own willfulness and our own decision that we want to do things our way. And that broke that relationship. But God has been in the process of restoring that relationship all through human history. And now as he did it through Jesus Christ on the cross, now he's doing it through you and me, through the resources he's given to us, that we now play a part in that bigger story, that he's entrusted you and I with so much so that we would be in partnership with him in his work in this world. With the resources came a tremendous opportunity. This was the chance of a lifetime. He was setting them up for success. And he was providing them all the resources that they were going to need to succeed. And two of them recognized the opportunity. It says that the man who would receive the five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work. He didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. He saw this is the chance of a lifetime. I've got a chance to do something I would never get a chance to do otherwise. Went out at once, put his money to work, gained five bags more. Also, the second man with two bags of gold went and gained two bags more. Both of them understood that this was an opportunity. The third guy didn't recognize opportunity knocking at his door. He didn't see what was truly at stake in all of this. So it says the man who would receive the one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. You and I have been given an incredible opportunity to use the resources that God has entrusted us For his work in this world, eternal work in this world. And it is an incredible opportunity, but there is a limited amount of time. See, every one of us in this room have been given a certain amount of resources and a certain amount of time, and with that has come an incredible opportunity. IBM, Big Blue, first came to the New York Stock Exchange in 1915. I want you to think about that. 1915 was the first issuance of stock for IBM. Now, if you had the opportunity and took the opportunity to buy just one share, to invest in one share of IBM stock, what do you think your net worth would be today? Just just think about it. In fact, actually, turn to the person next to you and just take a wild guess. What do you think your net worth would be today if you had just bought one share of IBM stock in 1915? Just... Take a guess. What do you think it would be? You want to know what the correct answer is? 
If you bought stock in IBM in 1915, you would be dead today. <laughs> That's the real answer. And your net worth would be zero. See, and that's what we forget. That's the part that we forget. We only have a certain amount of resources and a certain amount of opportunity and a limited amount of time. And when we forget that, everything gets knocked out of kilter. God has resourced you and resourced me with incredible resources. But we've only got a little bit of time. And that's what it says about the first two. They went at once. They recognized this was a limited opportunity and time is of the essence. And he wants us to live with that sense of expectation. See, the key to this life of stewardship is to understand that I've been given a certain amount of resources for a certain amount of time. And I'm to use what is temporary to invest in the eternal. That God has invited you and invited me into a partnership, into an eternal partnership. That with these resources come these options and opportunities, and with these resources come choices. And when I understand the principle of stewardship, it changes the way that I make those choices, changes the way that I make those decisions. Because God has given us a certain amount of resources for a certain amount of time with a certain amount of opportunities so that, and here's the purpose, that he wants you and he wants me to have a share in his reward. See, that's the payoff. That's what the master had in mind. He was setting them up for success. He was resourcing them for success. But all the, the bottom line was he wanted them to share that sense of gratification and that sense of fulfillment of having accomplished what, he was set, what they had been set out to do. And that's what it says. When it comes to them, he says to them each, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come sharing your master's happiness. That's what his goal was for them all along. That's why he had resourced them so wealth, wealthily. That's why he had given them such an opportunity because he wanted to experience that gratification and that sense of fulfillment of having accomplished what he had called them to do. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. That we would understand what stewardship is really all about. Then we would understand that all that he has given to us for his purposes is so that we would be able to share in that ultimate reward. And when there's nothing more rewarding than to come to the end of your life and be able to hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. See, it all comes down to what you truly believe about God. Do you believe that God has your best interests in mind, that he wants the very best for you, that he has resourced you so that you could get the most out of this life, or do you not? That was the mistake of the third servant. Because when he is called to account, this is what he has to say. I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds, so I was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he didn't understand his master. He was afraid because he thought his master was a hard man. 
His master was not a hard man. His master was a generous man. His master was setting him up to succeed. His master was giving them the opportunity of a lifetime. But he did not understand his master. And that's why he was afraid. It comes down to what you truly believe about God. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, following Jesus makes life better. And it makes you better at life. And that's what Jesus wants his followers to understand. That's what he wanted his hearers to understand. That's what he wants you and me to understand. That he has given you all of these incredible resources. And he's invited you to be a part of the work that he's doing in this world. And when you invest them in that way, you benefit. Your life actually becomes better. There's been a number of studies done recently of the benefits of living a generous life, of living a selfless life, of living a giving and serving life. Um, Jenny Santee wrote a book, came out not too long ago, The Giving Way to Happiness. And this is just some of the few findings that they have discovered by living this kind of a life. This is what she writes. Happy people are more likely to give, but people who give also tend to become happier. This is because the act of giving not only benefits the recipient, but also leads to positive outcomes for the giver. When you give, you derive a sense of personal meaning from helping others. You also become more grateful for your own life conditions as you appreciate the situation of those who are less fortunate. The outcomes can also be indirect. For example, when helping others, your interactions with the recipients and others gives Other givers produce positive social relationships and a sense of community. It turns out that when we help someone, our body triggers the release of healthy chemicals. Good deeds release do-good chemicals that that do good things to our bodies. Helping can reduce your stress levels. Your heart may beat with a healthier rhythm. You may also get a boost in your immune system. In fact, some studies suggest that helping people on a regular basis may help us live longer. When we face anxiety, stress hormones such as cortisol are released and our hearts and our breathing rates increase. Helping others acts like an antidote. In order to help us overcome any apprehension at the thought of helping someone, our brains release do-good hormone called oxytocin. When our compassion circuits are turned on, our angry circuits cannot be activated. Both circuits cannot be on at the same time. When oxytocin circuits are turned on, any negative feelings are pushed aside so that we can enjoy these it's all good moments. In other words, oxytocin drives away our anxiety, reduces our apprehension, and prepares us to help a stranger. That we actually live a better life when we live with the principles of stewardship. And I sit up here and I look around this room and I see the faces of people whose whose marriages have been restored and families brought back together. I look into the faces of people who have overcome addictions or or found a sense of, of purpose and meaning for their lives. People who have found comfort in times of great difficulty. And there is nothing, nothing more rewarding than to be able to see that I've been able to have just some small part in that happening in somebody's life. And that's the, the sense of gratification and fulfillment that God wants for each and every one of us. Yeah. 
that he wants us when it's all said and done to be able to come to the end of our lives and to be able to hear our master, our Lord, say to us those words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share in your master's happiness. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may-